BC senior forced to live in a Walmart car park due to the cost of living crisis. Canadian tar sands pollution is up to 6,300% higher than reported. A Canadian is allegedly disappeared in Gaza and witnesses say that he was taken by the IDF. The UN pleads with Canada to reinstate funding for the Palestinian Refugee Agency during a genocide and the wider war continues to escalate after three US service members are killed in Jordan drone attack. Good morning. It's Monday, January 29th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, I want to remind you that today is the seventh anniversary of the shooting that happened at the Grand Mosque at La Sainte Culture Islamique de Québec. The mosque is in Saint-Foy, not far from where I record, and as always, there will be a commemoration tonight. If you want to catch it, you can see it live in English, simultaneous broadcast, translated, or in French, at YouTube or on Facebook. To get those links, just search Commemoration Citoyenne. Commemoration Citoyenne. That's a Commemoration Citoyenne, I guess. On Facebook, you'll find the page of the event, and that's where it will be broadcast. Let's start in British Columbia today and the growing issue of low-income seniors being priced out of the rental market. Nono Shen, writing for the Canadian Press, features the story of a 77-year-old former construction worker named Keith Light, who is currently living in an RV outside a Walmart in East Vancouver. Shen explains that Light spent New Year's Eve trying to get the engine running to stay warm while trying to imagine better times ahead. He said this, quote, I just laid there and visualized BC housing calling me and saying, we have a place for you, unquote. Light has been on the provincial waiting list for subsidized housing for two years now. And every time he contacts the agency, staff ask him to check back in another six months. Shen explains that Light is among a large population of elderly people living in or on the brink of poverty in British Columbia and whose situation is exacerbated by perennially high housing costs and cost of living woes. There has been a seismic shift in how poverty and generations interact. According to the story, people 65 years of age or older in the province were twice as likely as younger people to be classified as having low income in 2021. But 20 years ago, it was the other way around. Advocates for BC seniors say rising costs of living coupled with stagnant government and retirement incomes are pushing more elders into poverty and homelessness. The monthly old age pension for people over 75 years old is just shy of $785, while the guaranteed income supplement for a single person is around $1,065, and that is where it tops out. The story references a report titled Aging in Uncertainty, the Growing Housing Crisis for BC Seniors, which was published by the United Way BC in late November. Shen writes, quote, seniors interviewed for the report described living unsheltered or in unsafe housing situations, for example, staying with abusive family members, living in cars or storage lockers, camping in the woods and living without heat or electricity, unquote. Laura Katawaki, Program and Operations Coordinator with United Way BC, explains in the story that one frontline agency worker told her that about half of her clients are so distressed they aren't sure if they want to live. 
Next to Alberta, where a study finds that toxic emissions from tar sands is staggeringly higher than previously reported. Published in the journal Science, the research found that air pollution from the vast Athabasca tar sands exceeds industry reported emissions by between a whopping 1,900% to more than 6,300%. I mean, you have to close your eyes and visualize that, 6,300%. In a write-up for The Guardian, reporter Matthew Taylor explains that pollutants from the tar sands are equivalent to all other human-made sources across Canada combined. Keith Stewart, a senior energy strategist for Greenpeace, is quoted in the story saying this, quote, in quantifying the astonishing and largely unreported levels of health damaging air pollution coming out of oil sands operations, these scientists have validated what downwind indigenous communities have been saying for decades. This is making people sick. So our governments can and should require these companies to use some of their record breaking profits to clean up the mess they've made, unquote. Taylor explains that Canadian tar sands cover an area larger than England, making it one of the biggest industrial projects on the planet. And this year, the sands have produced a record-setting amount of bitumen. Bitumen is a type of oil which is extremely heavy and difficult to extract. And extracting bitumen from deep in the ground can use up massive amounts of water, enough to rival what a small city might use on a daily basis, says Taylor. Even more water and energy is needed to refine it for commercial use, and the amount of climate-polluting greenhouse gases emitted per barrel of tar sands oil can be 30% higher than conventional oil. Man, Canada is so awesome that we've done this to the world, eh? Mm. This piece quotes Jesse Cardinal from the Indigenous-led group Keepers of the Water, who says the report confirmed what many communities have been experiencing for years. Quote, we are told this is all within the limits and okay, but this report backs up what the communities living in these areas experience. It is so bad they cannot open their windows because it hurts their lungs to breathe, especially at night. Unquote. Next, a Canadian-Palestinian has not been heard from in a week from the team he's been working with to document what is happening in Gaza. Mansour Shuman was last heard from by his Canadian team on January 21st. He had sent a video from Khan Yunus. Shadi Sacker in Canada said that relief agency workers said Shuman was taken by the IDF while he was on his way to Rafah. CBC's Jim Brown reports that attempts to get answers from the IDF to verify this account have not been successful. Schumann left Calgary last year after seven years so he could be closer to family in Gaza. In November, his wife and children managed to get out of Gaza, but he decided to stay. His mother, Dr. May Hussein, had said she also hasn't heard from him since January 21st. Next, United Nations officials are urging Canada and eight other countries to reconsider a pause in funding for the UN's Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, or the UNRWA. On Friday, on the same day that the International Court of Justice ordered Israel to refrain from actions that violate the Genocide Convention, Israel alleged that 12 UNRWA employees were involved in the October attacks. The agency responded by firing the accused staffers and launching an investigation. Now, side note, it is not a coincidence that they said this right after the decision from the Court of Justice. It's actually so transparently obvious what they've done and every country that was looking for some way to distract from the fact that Israel did not come out ahead in this court decision has jumped on it and announced that they'll be pulling back their funding for the UNRWA. The countries that have pulled their funding from the agency are the United States, Germany, the United Kingdom, Australia, Italy, Canada, Finland, and the Netherlands. 
UNRWA Chief Philippe Lazzarini described the decision to suspend aid to the only agency in Gaza as, quote, collective punishment, unquote, and expressed his shock that such decisions were taken as famine looms in Gaza. And, you know, it's also worth noting that Lazzarini has been one of the very few people who've had international profile to ring the alarm bell on what is happening in Gaza. I think that any journalist that is reporting on this that isn't reporting through the lens of Lazzarini and the UNRWA being eyes and ears on the ground in Gaza and alerting the world to what is happening is doing a massive disservice or they're just doing propaganda for Israel. By cutting the UNRWA off from their funding, they are making it impossible for people like Lazzarini to tell the world what they have been seeing. And he has been a principal voice since the war on Gaza has started. More than 2 million people of the besieged strips, 2.3 million people, depend on the UNRWA for quote-unquote sheer survival, including food and shelter, said Lazzarini. UN Chief Antonio Guterres joined him in urging donor nations to maintain much-needed aid to Gaza, reports Al Jazeera. It's also, of course, worth mentioning that when you have accused 12 people within an agency of 13,000 people of being linked to terrorism, it doesn't make much sense to just pull the funding entirely from the organization, especially when the organization has fired the people that you've accused of being terrorists. But let's also be clear, Israel cannot be trusted. They lie continuously. They say things without providing any evidence at all for their claims, and we're expected to just accept it, despite the fact that so many of their claims in the last few months have been complete and utter fabrications. If you want to donate to the UNRWA, they do accept individual donations. And tomorrow on Sandy and Nora, we will talk about this in much deeper terms. So stay tuned for that. Now, in related news, the wider regional war continues to escalate after three American troops were killed and dozens were injured yesterday. It happened in a drone strike in northeast Jordan near the Syrian border. That is according to the U.S. military. The deaths are the first fatalities of U.S. troops in the region since Israel's war on Gaza began. In a statement, President Joe Biden said that, quote, while we are still gathering the facts of this attack, we know it was carried out by radical Iran-backed militant groups operating in Syria and Iraq, unquote. Biden also said that the U.S., quote, will hold all those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing, unquote. Fears have grown about the possibility of a regional war amid attacks from Yemen's Houthi rebels on the Red Sea shipping and near daily rounds of cross-border fire between Israel and Hezbollah in Lebanon. Reporting from Tehran, Al Jazeera's Rasul Serdar said that there have been more than 100 attacks on U.S. military installations in the Middle East since Israel launched its attacks. Quote, Iran's position so far has been quite clear. They say that these attacks are not conducted and planned by Iran. They say that Iran has allies across the region. However, these allies also make decisions based on their own decisions, unquote. Well, we'll have to wait to see how the U.S. responds, but judging by Biden's recent mumblings, it will probably further escalate tensions and lead to more death and less commerce flowing through the Red Sea. Those are your headlines for Monday, January 29th. I'm Nora. I hope you had a wonderful weekend and uh, good luck. It's Monday. <laughs> You'll be fine. You're listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. Production assistance for this episode comes from Mary Newman. I will talk to you tomorrow.